I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and author, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Opta Sports. Jamie, how's it going? Yeah, doing well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. You've just come back from the Tour de France, so you've been putting football behind you for a bit. So has has your football experience of the summer been? Have you watched much? Yeah, I've managed to catch uh, most of the friendlies. Um, I missed the uh, Western Sydney one because I was away, but yeah, I've because I was away, I've been I've been checking Twitter and stuff to keep up to date. And every time I log on, it just seems like there's a crisis. So I just I keep scrolling, <laughs> expecting to see something's gone majorly wrong, but just another day in Leeds Twitter, really. <laughs> yeah, and you'll have seen me sticking my neck above the parapet of, of Adam Forshaw Twitter as well. That's been fun. I just don't know what's good for me, really. Every time someone does him down, I think I have to defend his honour. So um, I'm hoping he has a good season so that I can feel a little bit more smug about myself. Yeah, if, if you want to set your Twitter notifications on fire, just back Adam <laughs> Forshaw and it will do the job. The amount of times that I've had the word context shouted at me and stats don't tell you everything, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, I love the fact that um, people just really dismiss stats like in place of their recollection of games that happened <laughs> six months ago, probably with three pre-match beers inside them. So That's the thing for me is that it's all well and good saying context. It's the fact that what they mean by that is I'm just going to dismiss the stats entirely. Whereas for me, talking about context in terms of stats, you're, you're indicating that there may be underlying issues that will affect the way that you read the stats rather than just dismissing them entirely. But I guess that's another discussion for another day. I should say before we start, I'm, I'm in a small meeting room in, in London with some kind of building work going on around me. So after relentlessly ribbing Jamie about the, the click of his mouse in the last episode, it's going to be me who's falling foul of the audio gods this time round. So there you go. There's some kind of divine justice to that. I apologize for, for mocking your mouse, Jamie. <laughs> no, that's fine. 
I should also say before we start that we have started a, a Twitter feed, which a lot of people have followed this week. Bizarrely, I, I wasn't expecting us to to hit the ground running quite so quickly. That's at all stats, aren't we? So if you go over there, you'll find all of the, the relevant stuff that we're either talking about or podcasting about. And we've also got a podcast channel, which um, you should be able to find just by searching for all stats, aren't we, in your podcast aggregators. But yeah, let's crack on. We've, this is our season preview for the next season. Um, it feels like it was only yesterday that we were talking about the review of last season so it, it feels it feels weird I think we were both fairly positive about Leeds last season and I think we're both going to be fairly positive about Leeds this season so there's another thing for people to get annoyed uh, us about on Twitter I'll just talk quickly about the way that we've structured this podcast we've just mainly got listener questions and we've split them into into three sections we've got uh, questions about the squad so we'll look at who we've brought in uh, how we think we're most likely to set up this year and then we've got questions about individual players and then we've got some tactical questions as well obviously given that the season hasn't started yet we're not going to be talking about the stats too much apart from when we're dropping back into what happened last season so this will be a little bit more of a generic episode so let's start off with questions about the squad we've had a fairly busy summer in terms of players if you were to read twitter i don't think you would get the impression that had been the case but we've technically brought in uh, four players by my count in the in the senior squad those are let me just get the list up held costa from wolves on a loan deal that will be converted into a paid deal jack harrison back on loan jack clark back on loan having sold him to spurs and then ben white on loan from brighton at center back so how are you feeling about the squad jamie Probably not as bad as everybody else seems to be. I always thought that even if we sort of stood still this summer, we'd, we'd still have a, a very good chance this season when you bring into the fact the continuity that we do have. I think, like most people, I would agree that it would be comforting to have another centre-back in there just because, you know, it feels like injuries are never far away with this squad and it feels like we're going to have to have a, a perfect season in defence in terms of injury look. Mm-hmm to sort of sustain our best defensive play. But obviously Costa's a, a really big signing. When he gets up to speed with sort of Bielsa's play and his demands, I think he really will be one of the best attacking players in the division, again, <laughs> like he showed with Wolves. Let's talk about the the 11 then. We've got Josh Dean sent in a question. What 11 has the most balance and complements each other the most? I think he means the players that complement each other the most. I guess the question here is, well, what formation do we think we're going to play? We played uh, 4-1-4-1 last season and uh, I guess the, the, to all intents and purposes that was that was a fairly traditional formation for a fairly traditional league tactically. But at the end of the pre-season in the Calgary game, we saw Leeds form a 3-3-1-3 formation, which suggests that we might see this, you know, Bielsa's famous hipster formation a little bit more this season. So I guess my question to you first, Jamie, would be how do you think that, that, that Bielsa will navigate between those two formations? Do you think he will still stick with the 4-1-4-1 as, as what's comfortable? Or do you think the 3-3-1-3 will be, will be the go-to and then the 4-1-4-1 will be, will be used um, whenever it's required? I think um, the 4-1-4-1 will probably still be the default formation, but we're likely to see a bit more of what we use against Calgary. I wondered if... The one that we played against Calgary was sort of a measure to to cover sort of the impact of the loss of Janssen. Maybe getting an extra defender in there will sort of bring us back to the defensive level that we would get from a two just with Cooper and uh, Janssen. Plus, I think playing Ben White in the middle, it really brings his passing into play. Obviously, it's pre-season, so you, 
you can't take too much from it. But I have I have gone back and watched um, quite a lot of White's clips from Newport and Peterborough, and he is really good on the ball. It's it's not just a flash in the pan what we've seen in in pre season. Um, I think even though obviously Janssen is he's got much more of a grounding as a centre back than Ben White, I do think White is already our most capable centre-back in terms of possession. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess the thing that needs to be said then is that the benefit of having a player like White is that rather than then having Calvin Phillips dropping back in between the two centre-backs, you can just play White as an out-and-out centre-back there and still retain that ability to move the ball around that, that Calvin Phillips has and push Phillips further forward. I think sometimes we maybe got a little bit deep in the central areas last season and we we lost the, the capacity to transition the ball through the, the centre a little bit as a result of that. So um, we'll expect to see games where Bielsa might want to get the team forward quicker um, to, to form that 3-3-1-3. Three, three, three. Um, in terms of those two formations then, what would you? how would you set those up um, with your ideal players? I guess we'll, we both got Casilla in goal. The question then is, I guess, the back four or back three. The back four, I suppose, would be the ideal one would be Douglas Ailing, although obviously we've just had news that he's had an ankle surgery, so he'll be out for a bit. And then in the centre, you'd have Cooper on the, the left-sided centre-back and then White is the right-sided centre-back. Is there any tweaks that you would make to those to that, to that back four? And who would you bring in to replace uh, Ailing? That would be my ideal back four when everyone's fit as well, especially... Um... Douglas, I really hope he has a, a good season fitness-wise because I think he's got a lot more to show than what he did last year. But in the early in the early few months of the season, I thought Douglas was really good, and people have sort of forgotten that just because he came with a reputation as this assist machine from Wolves, and that didn't exactly materialise. But I, I thought he was still really good in terms of what he can bring to Bielsa's system. But replacing Erling, I think it's got to be Dallas on Sunday. Looks like he's had a pretty decent preseason, uh, from what I've seen. And obviously he was basically the star man against uh, Derby in the second leg. So he should be feeling pretty good about himself, given that he's going to have an opportunity in this team with injuries at the moment. Let's talk about the back three then. So the back three that they played against Cagliari was was White in the middle, Berardi on the right and, and Cooper on the left. Obviously it was, it was an asymmetrical formation against Cagliari, so... so Berardi was maybe a little bit more like a um, a, a right back um, if you were, if you were going to push it. But what do you think of that as a back three? You happy with that? Yeah, I think it worked uh, pretty well. I noticed quite a lot in the first half because we had the um, the three centre backs behind the ball. It allowed it allowed players like Phillips to get higher up the field, and we were, we were able to press quite a lot more aggressively. Um, you could hear Bielsa over the commentary really getting at the midfield players to get as high up as possible and then the the defensive line pushing up too so it really allowed us to to squeeze up the pitch with that three at the back um sort of providing cover what do you think that the the three three one three gives to leads that the the four one four one doesn't because i i'm thinking of players like you know douglas didn't really look great last season but then if you if you say well you could play douglas as as as, a, as the wing back instead of leaf davis who played there last in the last game that's a really exciting prospect for me sort of having him in, in a more classic uh, wing back role that's the role that he played at wolves and then there's there's other that, for example we had Forshaw playing in the same team as click and 
Phillips is another question we'll talk about later on, but it feels as though the three three one three just gives more of an option to to get the best out of players who maybe don't fit quite so well into the four one four one. Yeah, if you're looking at someone like Douglas specifically as well, I think the the fact that Wolves let him go was due to his maybe his defensive shortcomings. Didn't think he was strong enough defensively. So if you can play him as a wing back, sort of how we did with Alioski towards the end of last season, where most of his work is going to be done going forward. That'll really suit him. Plus, we know Douglas has really good delivery and he links up well with um, the winger ahead of him. Um, he is one of the best passing fullbacks in the Championship. I was just looking up the progressive passes uh, ranking for fullbacks in the Championship last season, which is basically a measure of how well players can move the ball up the pitch and get get your team into good areas of the pitch. And he was, he was in the top five, 12.9 progressive passes per 90. So he is a real asset as... Um, in possession back there. So on the four one four one, then obviously you have Calvin Phillips in, in the one and the holding role. Who would you play as the two midfielders and the two wide players then in in that formation? I think at, at full strength, you've got to make a decision whether whether you want Forshaw in midfield with Click or whether you want to play two out and out wingers, so Harrison and Costa, and then you have to play Hernandez as the number ten which means there's only another midfield spot, which would mm-hmm. obviously be clicks. He was he was up there with player of the season candidates last year. But mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's definitely room for both. Click and Forshaw in the middle together provides us with a bit more control, yeah. which, which we will need at times throughout the season. But say, say if we're playing um, a team from the lower half of the table at home next year, I think you will see you know Harrison, Costa on the wings, Hernandez number 10, which just, just gives us that bit more in attack. But yeah, there's there's definitely going to be room for both throughout the season, and we we will definitely see both types. I guess the uh, we've already mentioned the fact that when you're playing the three three one three, you can then have Forshaw playing alongside Phillips. Phillips playing sort of the holding role as as per, but then Forshaw was playing uh, an interesting role, and, and I likened it. I, I wrote a thread on the All Stats on We Twitter feed, just looking at the the tactics of that game and the way that Forshaw played as sort of inverted fullback in in that game so if you if you want to have a read of that that's over on on the twitter feed but i i likened it to uh, the role that vidal played in bielsa's chile side and i think that offers a, a really interesting like like you said it gives you the it gives you the sort of control that you you're talking about that having click and and foreshore in midfield offers but also allows you to play pablo hernandez as well as as almost as that inside forward role that he played most of last season so i guess that would be the formation that you would then play in in the three three one three. Sorry, the the configuration of players. So you would then in front of that back three, you would have presumably a um, a, a wing back. Uh, it was Leaf Davis, but presumably that would be um, Douglas and then Cal- Calvin Phillips and then Forshaw. Is there anyone that you think would play in that the Vidal role well as well as Forshaw? Do you think Click could drop into there and then you could push um, Hernandez across and then maybe have two more out and out wingers? Yeah, if, if you're talking about that Vidal role, sort of, sort of halfway between wing back and a, a box to box midfielder, I think it's got to be mm. apart from Forshaw, Shackleton. Um, okay. First of all, it is it is a role that requires a lot of energy. Yeah. And Forshaw and Shackleton obviously f- fit fit that mould perfectly. So um, plus, I think with Shackleton, his his two primary positions are fullback and sort of the box to box midfield yep. role. So. If you can fuse them together, I think that that would be one that would really suit Shackleton. Hmm. And then I guess that leaves uh, where are we up to the the one? <laughs> uh, who would you go for 
I'm guessing you'd say Roof in this point, but obviously we're not going to have that option at the beginning of the season. So Bamford. Yep, it's got to be. Um, <laughs> How do you feel about Bamford? It, it's been it has been tough to watch him this preseason. The amount of close range chances that he gets is just amazing, but <laughs> yeah. the goals just just aren't adding up for whatever reason. And every game that passes, you just think, hopefully, this is the one where the the streak ends. But yes. It really is just a case of keep looking for those chances as much as you can because there's there's no way a streak like this can continue for yeah. you know beyond six eight months or whatever it is. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's one of those things where you watch you watch him, you look at the stats, you watch him play, and and you realise that you know he gets in such great positions that he gets a lot of chances, and you. you you almost want him to not get chances because he gets so berated by the fan base when he misses them. And it's been interesting this preseason because there's been the games where he's had chances have been the games where people have gone on about him. And then there's been other games where he has just hasn't had chances and, and the fans just haven't really made a comment about it at all when really that's like inverted, right? It should be the other way around. If you want your strikers to get chances um, and, and, and because that, you know, getting a chance is half of the battle and, and then finishing is the other, other half. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been weird in this, in this preseason, sort of almost noticing how little he's been talked about. And, and, and there's a correlation between how little he's talked about in certain games and him not, not actually playing that well. So it's, it's almost like if he plays well, he gets talked about being bad. And if he, uh, if he plays, if he does play um, badly, he just drops beneath the radar a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I, again, I did a thread. I'll, I'll maybe link to it on the, on the Twitter feed um, about looking, just looking back at his uh, XG stats over the course of last season um, and showing how actually part of the problem with, with Bamford seems to be that he, um, he reduces the quality of his shots when he when he uh, the quality of his chances sorry when he shoots so he's his xg um per 90 was through the roof last season um and he he reduced the quality of those chances to about he was getting about 80 0.8 uh, xg per game and he was re- reducing that the likelihood of that to 0.6 um which is a 25% drop off which is which says everything you need to say about him but we could talk about Bamford all day let's let's move on we've got some questions from um uh from the listeners about players um so I'll I'll throw these out out for you this is an interesting one from Billy Reed out of the Don Revy which player do you think will ma- massively improve stats wise this season so I think when you when you're looking at stats improvements, that may basically sort of revolves around goals and assists because you can't say for sure, you know, Calvin Phillips is going to increase his tackle success percentage or whatever. Um, so I think you've got to stick to goals and assists on that one. And I think I think the main one you'd look at is Jack Harrison. Um, obviously, he's he's had a very good preseason. Um, I did up his. Uh, goals and assists from the game he's played and he's got three goals and three assists in four games which is a really good return because even though it is pre-season and the opposition varies you are still playing in um, teams where it's sort of a sort of a mishmash of players and there's it's very early it's a very early stage in the relationship between the players that you'll be playing with in pre-season so there is a, a sense of you fighting against um, that sort of chemistry and it's it comes down to Sort of individual performance, um, but yeah, he played um, two thousand six hundred seventy-eight minutes last season and got four goals and three assists, which is it's not a great return for a, a winger who has played that much in a Bielsa side. Um, even Luke Ayling 
was involved in more goals than him last season, even though he played slightly more minutes. So if you're looking for a player who's going to take the biggest leap from last year's production, you would think he'd be the biggest candidate. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think, I, I can't remember, but I think we were quite positive about Harrison at the end of last season. So maybe I'll check out the season review from last year and, and see see what we said and try and make us look like we know what we're talking about. Um <laughs> I, there's clearly there's clearly something about Harrison that Bielsa likes, and that's why he was brought back in. And it's good to see that that paying dividends, especially because as we've we, we're going to talk about um, the wingers in a little bit. But you made a big point of the fact that uh, having having wingers who are productive is is fundamental to the system that Bielsa plays. So it's nice to see Harrison finally uh, coming into that, especially given what we've just said about about Patrick Bamford. We 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 also mentioned in the season review from last season that. That we needed more players around the team to chip in with goals and so it'll be nice to see Harrison starting to find the net a little bit more let's move on to the next question from Jonathan Tequin at TXWYN who do you expect to be the most improved player this season compared to last I guess that's a sort of continuation of the one that we've just that we've just asked but you've, you've talked in, in terms of assists and goals in terms of maybe further back in the field which which player in, in, in the defensive areas um, or midfield might you expect to improve the most this season I would look at probably defensively Douglas just because of the fact mm. that he, he's he definitely didn't you know sh- show what everything that is about last season but most of that was due to injury I think if you can get Douglas starting 25 30 plus games next season then people will realize what what a good player he is at this level and he would be a real asset because he is pretty much the only senior left back that we have in our squad Alioski is not a he's not a natural left back and mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure how much he will figure this season as a main player if Douglas can stay fit. So, um, yeah, that, that'd be one. Plus, I'd also look at Forster on midfield. Obviously, I know people will dispute this a little bit, but if, if he's available to play regularly this season, then he is going to play a lot because Bielsa clearly likes him. He's gone out of his way multiple times to praise what a good player he was. He's called him the most complete midfielder in our team before. So, whether people like it or not, Forster is going to play a lot this season if he's available. What I found really interesting is that Forshaw's done a huge amount of the post-match interviews in pre-season. And I think, you know, any player who who does that, he, he clearly, and he makes comments about the tactics as well. He's clearly, he's been he's been cited as one of the players who is interested in going into management in the future. So he's clearly someone who Bielsa trusts as well because of the tactical side of things. I think one of the reasons why we both like Forshaw is because we appreciate that he does a lot of the stuff that the, the 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 stuff that goes beneath the radar, but has to be done. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't need to nail my uh, foreshore credentials to the mast <laughs> on those days. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that he, he he does get time and that we do see a little bit. Of, we do get a sense of what what it is that foreshore does, um, and that is not about you know picking the ball up, running into the box, and shooting and scoring. It's, it is about facilitating everything else that that happens in a team, which is the, the tactics of which are, are all based around movement so yeah I, I totally agree with those two as well we should maybe disagree more we think we, too, we agree too much but there's a lot of disagreement on Twitter so if you want if you want anger and disagreement head ahead over there um, we've had a few questions about um, under 23's impacts on the first team I think again I think we'll both agree on on players here you wanted to mention uh, Matthias Bogosh he's had a fantastic 
preseason. It's great to see him coming in at the age of 17 and looking such a mature player. Looks good on the ball. Looks good in the press. He he's he scored a couple of goals. He's 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 got a good shot on him as well. So yeah, an exciting prospect. So you expect him to be the player who is going to come in and make the most impact from the 23s, right? Yeah, he's he's got to be one of the main candidates. Although I think the opportunities will be dictated by wherever we're short in the squad on that particular weekend. So just because, say, I don't know, Pascal Stroik comes in at centre-back, that doesn't mean he's the, the best player coming through the under-23s. So it will be dictated by those situations. But yeah, but Bogus is, he does look like a real talent and he's one of those that you wish was two or three years older because he looks like he's got a lot to his game as a, a midfield player. I watched him quite a few times for the under-23s last season as well and he's he's just got a real drive to his game. There was one game I went to which went to extra time and he was still making these lung-busting runs in 118th minute and everybody else was dropping down with cramp and he was just just powering through. So he has got a lot to his game technically and physically and it looks like Bielsa had him as the closest individual from the under-23s to the first team in pre-season, particularly in Australia. So maybe that's a, a hint that he is sort of top of the pecking order. Yeah, I think beyond that, obviously you've got you've already mentioned Pascal Stroke. Robbie Gotts has been in and out of the, the senior squad in pre-season. Liam McCarran, I think, is, is a possibility if, if injuries happen. Obviously, we've got a huge amount of, of, of wide players, so maybe not the case. Uh, Alfie McCallman at defensive midfield. We're a little bit thin there. Worst case scenario, Phillips left. For some reason, you'd then be expecting Forshaw and McCallman to be the cover coverage there. Uh, and then beyond that, I guess Mujica, Rafa Mujica, given that it looks like Edmondson may be going on loan to, to Carlisle. So those would be the players I think I would highlight as the potentials for, for coming in this season. I don't think, uh, maybe Clark Adore, I've not mentioned him, but beyond that, I think that will be the, they'll be the, the mainstays that you'll see on the bench and covering, as you've mentioned, um, injuries. Do you want to add anyone to that, or were you happy with that? Yeah, I think those are the main ones, but there really are so many under-23s that I think could have a place in the first team somewhere next season. Practically in every position, you can look at one player who will who sort of does have will have the chance to to figure in that first team. You look at in defence, you've got Stroik, you've got Odor who can play fullback and midfield. Robbie Gotts is he does practically everything. He's, he's quite similar to Shackleton in that way. There's just there's no real weaknesses to his game, uh, and he can he can play in so many roles. You got Stevens to play out wide as well as McCarran, so there really are options everywhere if Bielsa does need to dip into the under twenty threes again. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, let's move on. We've got quite a few questions that are sort of overlapping here. We've got a question from Barney about Click and Floorshore in the same team. And I think we've suggested that the 3313 might be the best way of doing that. He's got a question about wingers as well, but we've got quite a few questions about wingers. So I'll, I'll, I think I'll save that one for, for the tactic section because uh, you wrote a whole blog post on, on that. We've got a few questions on chance conversion. Obviously, that was a big issue last season. We've already touched on Patrick Bamford. We've got um, a question from LUFC Meal Deal One, creatively named, who asked how we can better convert on converted chances that cost us last season and then we've got a question from you know sam uh, at sjj leads who says how do bamford roof and roberts compare to say pookie sharp and abram in terms of chance conversion do edmondson or kun look clinical enough to contribute kun mahalov we haven't mentioned um he, he's another potential coming through on on in, in the striking areas but i think um it will probably be mohika ahead of him but yeah again i'd mentioned that that thread that i did on my own twitter feed about look just looking at bamford and particularly roof because opta released uh some data from the championship at the end of last season a sort of championship review and both Bamford and Roof show up very highly in the in the attacking um, areas uh, what I would say is when you compare Bamford and Roof both of them are underperforming on their XG for a start so they're the chances created are of a quality where you would expect them to score more than they did score and also we've talked about um, expected goals on target so that's taking into account um, where the ball goes after it's struck um, and what the quality of the chance looks like after that. Is it going too close to the keeper? Is it, it, it are you hitting corners? Are you making it uh, more likely to score? And both Bamford and Roof underperformed on that as well. So they reduced the chances um, that, that they took by, by shooting, essentially. Pookie and Sharp and Abraham, Abraham in particular, massively uh, over over performed on his xg pookie and sharp both overperformed their xg slightly um and that's that's just part and parcel of what it is to be um in a good player in a in a side that's pushing for a promotion so you'd expect to see that that sort of performance if 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 a side goes up and i think that's precisely why it's fair to say that Leeds were unlucky not to go up next season because had they had things go another way you might have expected to see bamford and roof um in the same in the same um way overperforming their xg when it comes to how do you how do you convert those unconverted chances it's very hard to say really um the piece that i always cite is bobby gardner's piece from the ringer where he looks at all of the factors that go into how you de- develop an xg model and says actually the individual striker like finishing quality is actually very low down the list of things um that can affect uh, whether or not a chance is likely to go in most of that most of that is to do with the amount of defenders in front of the ball where the goalkeeper is stood in the goal line where the shot is placed etc so there's not really much you can do really other than as we've said just hope that Bamford gets out of this this funk that he's got in front of goal did you want to add anything uh, anything to there because obviously you'll be looking at a lot of this stuff with Opta as well I, I do agree that sort of finishing as a skill in itself is a bit overrated I think in the eyes of the general fan if you, if you look at someone like Billy Sharp last season his, his shot conversion rate was over 30 percent which is pretty incredible in a single season but so many of those goals were just really close range finishes where it's really mostly about the position that you get into rather than sort of the contact or the the quality of the finish um but at the end of the day for as 
for as good as our build-up play was and the chances we created, it does come down to that 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 final action. No matter how good the build-up play is, it's what will define the the performance of the team is whether you can put that in the back of the net. But I think what we can control is getting a wider share of contributors in terms of goals next season. Say if we can if we can get more out of Harrison, obviously, and then you add Costas to the mix, who should be one of the best wide midfielder, wide forwards in the league in terms of goals and assists. If our number nine can see that he's he's getting support from elsewhere in terms of goals and it, the spotlight's not on him all the time, which it felt like it was last season, then I think that can only be a good thing for, for both parts. Football is a simple game, isn't it? If you can score goals, it makes it does make all the difference. So hopefully we will we'll sort out those problems next season. Let's move on to talk about tactics, finally. I'll hand this one over to you. George Bainbridge asks, how can we expect Costa's dribbling ability to change the way we attack? You guys talked before, I think, about how we put a lot more crosses in later on last season, so wondering how that might change. You wrote a blog post about this at the end of last season, so do you want to j- jump in with an answer to this one? This really was my main sort of hope for this season, was that we would be able to find a, a wide midfielder who could play more of more as a, a wide attacker who would appear in the box a lot more. Uh, rather than sort of being the classic winger who stays on the touchline and tracks back. I think having a player like Costa sets us up nicely to have more contributors in attacking sense alongside our number nine because he is he's one of those wingers that is closer to a, a striker than he is to a midfielder if you're looking at general positions. So, But in terms of how he'll, he'll change our play, I, d- I just think a lot of last season we use we would overload one side of the pitch and switch it out to the opposite flank to open up space, which would often give us a 1v1, maybe with Harrison, uh, mostly in this in this situation. But we were never able to cash in as, as much as a team like Norwich were, for example, with Onel Hernandez. If he got the ball 1v1, it was a dangerous situation. Last season, if it came out to Harrison, our best-case scenario was probably a decent cross in the box. Um, so when you get a player like Costa, he's, he's a double threat as a, as a dribbler who can drive into the box with the ball and create something himself, as well as sort of keep that play going and maybe get a ball back into the box. And also, it'll, it'll just give us more opportunities in transition. Costa was really good at this for Wolves, picking the ball up in deeper areas once they've won it back and carrying the team up the field. That was something you you very rarely saw from Leeds last season. It always felt like we had to we had to construct the perfect player to create a chance. Whereas if you have an individual individual player who can who can make things happen on his own by carrying the ball at speed and going past players, it just makes life easier for pretty much everyone on the pitch. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, it was very prescient of, of you to pick up on that because we then did bring in three extra wingers. I mean, I know two of them are technically already ours, but that's clearly a, a concern that we, that we highlighted at the end of the last season. And, um, and they, they've responded to that. And I think, you know, a lot of the frustrations that we had at the end of last season came from the fact, like you said, that we weren't, we just weren't making the most of having a, a, a tactical approach that, Allowed players to get into isolated scenarios with fullbacks. Uh, we weren't we weren't ever really taking those clinically. We were we were maybe a little bit too hesitant on those. And I said that even of, of Harrison, perhaps. So it'll be nice to see um, that that changing last season. I think a really strong part of the season was when we brought in Jack Clark, and he was so dangerous going round fullbacks that that um, we we scored a lot of goals from there. So yeah, it would be good to see that happening. 
We've got a question saying we've lost Pontus and Sayers from last year's 11. Assuming we replace them with White and Costa, what are the main differences we'll see tactically this season? Well, I think this is where the question about how the formations are going to work comes in because um, I think it's very interesting. We've not really talked about this aspect of the 3-3-1-3 so much. It's something I mentioned in, in the thread that I've that I've already uh, noted before. That's the idea that actually, you know, 3-3-1-3 is, is a situational formation that we often fall into when we're playing in the 4-1-4-1. You push your wing backs for, forward, Calvin Phillips drops in a, a little and then the two the two wide players push forward and they've actually ended up in a 3-3-1-3 almost by, by default in possession. The, the really interesting thing is that when you when you switch to 3313 as a starting formation actually that's going to mean that the leads are defending as a 3313 um, so it'll be interesting to see one if that has an impact on the way that on chance creation for opposition um, whether or not it's maybe slightly more solid uh, whether or not that helps transitions because if you are defending in the formation that you're also attacking in then you don't need to transition quite so much and also I think what's what doesn't really get talked about with the 3313 is that it is um, a formation that you just won't see in the championship and so hopefully it will it will mean that that teams um, actually struggle to account for it uh, and it will also mean that that Leeds maybe have a little bit uh, more creative capacity to to be able to do that. So that's what I'm going to say in terms of formation. Is there anything you wanted to add, Jamie, about like tactical shifts this season? I, I suspect there isn't really going to be that much. It's going to be more of the same sort of stuff. It's going to be players learning the Bielsa system, the rotations and interchanges and the manipulation of space. Yeah, I, I think what you said about uh, the fact the 3-3-1-3 is a formation that you don't, well, you practically never see at championship level. Because in that Calgary game, especially the combination of that formation plus the man marking that we adopted in that game, it was just you can watch you can watch European football from all all types of countries and never see sort of a tactical shift like that. Especially in terms of man marking, there was there was times where Leif Davis would be twenty yards ahead of Helder Costa, <laughs> who was looking like a left back, just because he was so tight to his man. Adopting Bielsa's man marking. Obviously, that does have its limitations. I think back to Swansea away as a good example last year, where if you are man marking, you are susceptible to players who can dribble the ball and, and break lines. I remember their centre backs, Joe Roden and Mike van der Horn, really exposed that in terms of getting on the ball and carrying it because our players were reluctant to leave their man marking assignments to, to stop the run. So, the good news is that. Not many championship teams have sort of defenders that can carry the ball out that well. But the man-marking system where it is a real advantage is it's just an approach that opposition teams will very rarely have seen before. And I think it can throw teams off their rhythm of play because if they're looking looking for a certain pass, which is usually on like a, a pattern of play that they're used to using, and he's got a, a man-marking assignment right on his toes, then it sort of closes down the option and they're forced to adapt different uh, styles of play which it's just not a, a demand that teams are used to I'm really excited about this season after having watched the Calgary game in particular because the three three one three is a really fun formation um, just because you know it's just it's so you know a lot of the time when I'm watching a game tactically it's just sort of like well yeah you know there's the back four got this players moving back into to help out with defense this is how they're this is how they transition into into a defensive position whereas with the the three three one three it's just you're seeing 
certain players playing as we've already mentioned asymmetrically you're seeing for sure all over the pitch and then and then Leif Davis like you said more advanced than the than the winger you've got yeah it's it's, it's a very fun formation I'm looking forward to seeing how it r- rolls out when it comes to the championship and whether or not that can again give us an edge um, it will make us more diverse I think and that was partly what was missing at the end of last season we just stuck with the system so much that um, we didn't really um, have much of a, an upside from it a couple more questions, I think, before we finish. One is about pressing. Mike Shipley at 99, Mike Shipley 99. The pressing style is widely regarded as requiring a season to implement successfully, as demonstrated anecdotally by Guardiola in the Premier League. How do you think Bielsa managed to achieve significant, albeit relative, success in his first season? Is it easier to successfully implement against lower quality opposition? Did Bielsa manage to the transition differently or deploy any different tactics? Are players becoming more accustomed to the principles to make the transition easier or none of the above? So there are lots of questions in there. You've sort of touched on the the pressing style already and the man marking. But I, I do love the fact that Mike mentions Guardiola because obviously Guardiola had a disappointing first season in, in the in the Premier League. To what extent do you think there's going to be a a, a Guardiola effect in, in Bielsa's second season? And, and is this something that we're just really not talking about that much this season? The fact that actually another season, a pre, whole pre-season with Bielsa, players being brought into a system that is already being played by the whole team so that you don't need to do quite so much um, development of players. Is, it, is this an exciting thing that you're looking forward to as well? And do you think that actually this could be a season where we do blow it away because the tactics are so much further advanced than they were last season? Yeah, it's, it is a, a massive positive for us that we can we can start the season with, with Bielsa's framework almost entirely embedded. Obviously, it, it was incredible how quickly it came into play last season, just, just in that first game of the season against Stoke. I remember watching them against Las Palmas in that final pre-season game and I still wasn't quite sure what we were going to see on the first day and then the opening day against Soak was just an absolute tornado. In terms of the, the pressing, I think the idea is so well embedded now that it will just be a case of having the legs to do it, especially if, if Pablo's playing as a number 10 this season. Obviously at, at 34, it will be it will be difficult for him to sustain that level of pressing over the course of a season. I, th- I look at Costa as well. He he will never have had to press like this in his career before. I don't think so. There are a few players that will have to adapt to the demands of Bielsa again. But I think in terms of the idea, it's it's so well established now that it's it's going to be a real positive for us come the start of the season. So let's move on then finally to to one last question from Dan Holdsworth at Holdsworth with a zero instead of an O for the first O. He writes, last season Leeds were very fit and outran most teams, but to my eye there is a lack of natural athleticism in the Leeds team. There were occasions when we got steamrolled, not by old school long ball teams with a big lump up front, but by teams who were prepared to wait and then counter with speed and power on the floor. A simple way of putting it is Leeds have a team of middle and long distance runners with great technique and the teams we struggled with had sprinters sat waiting for to exploit us. Would an injection of big athletic players counter that or would it detract from what Bielsa is trying to do my answer to this would be well there's a tactical element to this um, which is you know when when you're a high a high possession team uh, you are maintaining possession and trying to break through oppositions th- th- then you do expose yourself to counterattacks and the reason why we saw that more and more towards the end of the season was because the leads were vulnerable to it and clubs 
themselves realised that um, if they tried to play Leeds at Leeds' own game, then they were only going to get get themselves into trouble. So they sat deep in low blocks or mid blocks and and looked to ca- catch Leeds on the break, particularly by playing the ball in the air over the top of Liam Cooper, incidentally. So I don't think that's so much to do with the fact that Leeds didn't have the players to deal with it necessarily, so much as the fact that Leeds opened themselves up for that kind of attack and teams did um, set themselves up to play p- players who were good on the counter against us. What would you say to the question then, would an injection of big athletic players counter this um, or would it chat from what Bielsa is trying to do? Do you think there would be a negative uh, element to bringing in some big beefy players? Yeah, for sure. I think it's just a natural consequence of Bielsa's sort of philosophy in football. I, I think I think all of his sort of best hits in management have been with players that rely more on intensity than, than power. If you think those Chile teams are quite diminutive players, really, but they were so intense in their running rather than overwhelming teams with sort of speed and power. But yes, if you're a higher possession team, it, it's it's pretty much just a trade-off that you are going to be susceptible against sort of direct, powerful football in certain games throughout the season. The hope is that over the other 38, 39 games of the season, you're going to be better at football than the rest of them. But... The teams that we struggled against the most were definitely those direct teams like Birmingham did the double over us. Um, West Brom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. West Brom hammered us in that, in that game because they had three quick players who they just sort of transitioned really quick, quickly with. Yeah, yeah maybe that's something that the three-three-one-three will help us, help us with uh, this season. Being able to have three sort of strict defenders behind the ball plus then Phillips who can get back in and act as a fourth defender. If you think about Maybe Sheffield United at home last season. The part where Cassie got sent off, we were if if Phillips misses that first sort of opportunity to, to stop the counter attack, then it does leave us open. And teams teams who had the players that could get up the field quickly did cause us most problems. Hull as well at home with the Grzycki and Bowen. That speed on the counter. If you miss that first opportunity to to stop the counter attack and you've only got three men behind the ball, say Phillips, Cooper and Janssen then the race is sort of on to to do damage against us, but I don't necessarily think that you need you need two sort of rock solid centre backs to to get out of this league if you have the amount of possession that Leeds do. I, I think about Fulham going up under Jukanovic when they had Tim Ream and Dennis Adoy as centre backs, and obviously if you, if you're looking at the the natural way that promoted teams usually get out of this league, it's with two solid centre-backs or whatever. Maybe that's become a bit of a stereotype now because there's more and more possession teams getting out of this league and establishing themselves as the the cream of the crop, really. So I think for as long as Bielsa is here, the trade-off is going to be we're going to try and play better football than our opposition every week. Quite a few times we're going to come up against direct teams that will expose us, but in those other games, we've just got to make the most of what we've trained to do from the first day that Bielsa came in. Well, I think we should start tying things up. Before I do that, I will ask you just one prediction. How do you think Leeds are going to do this season? Where are you going to put them in the table? I think we're not we're not firm top two contenders yet, but we will definitely be in the mix for top two. It's tough to call at this point when you when you're not sure about what the level of opposition is going to be. Will will someone like I don't know Bristol City take a massive step and become the top two team? Will will Cardiff be the same as ever and just sort of bully their way to the top. Um, it depends on the level of opposition elsewhere, but if you're looking around the league in terms of which team has the best carryover from last season, we are we are top of that. And if you look around at sort of podcasts like the Not the Top 20, 
guys who watch a lot of the football league they've got us finishing top so maybe maybe we are really good and it's just a natural feeling as a fan that is is telling me that we're, we're not champions elect already but I, d- I don't think we need to be worried especially not as as worried as i have seen some people on twitter so i think we've we've just got to just get through these first few months of the season see where we are and then we'll have a better idea of where we're going to be but with with Bielsa here, it does feel like this season is all or nothing. If we don't go up, he's probably going to go. If we do go up, it will be incredible. So it is a huge season, no doubt. I guess we just got to try and enjoy it as much as we can. Yeah, that's true. I'll say Leeds in the top three somewhere. So there you go. That's a bit of compromise. But yeah, it is important before seasons like this to realise that these sorts of seasons don't come along every day. So I think this is going to be the most enjoyable season uh, in my Leeds United supporting career. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. It's uh, great fun. We're going to try and do this about once a month through the course of the season. We'll take whatever games have happened and just have a, have a chat about the statistical and tactical side of things. I may run occasionally um, uh, podcasts in between those monthly ones uh, talking to, I don't know, there's a guy who has done some work with uh, looking at the under-23s, so it might be interesting to have him on, to have a chat about the under-23s. If there's anyone who follows the Leeds United women, it would be interesting to have a chat with them as well. So, And if you do have any suggestions of what you'd like to see in between, um, I can't promise that we're going to make those hard and fast, but do get in touch. Beyond that, follow the Twitter account, which is at all stats aren't we and you'll find threads on there hopefully I'm going to try and do a few threads before our games just looking at the tactics of the teams that we're playing against showing formations that might happen and where the weaknesses and strengths will be and follow us as a podcast on uh, any aggregator that uh, links to iTunes Uh, just search for us as all stats aren't we all that remains for me to do now is to say thank you Jamie and enjoy the season cheers mate you too Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.